Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. Today's episode is called Income Extravaganza. Interest rates are much higher around the world now. The cost for companies and governments to raise capital by issuing new debt has increased significantly. This means the dynamic has changed for the income received from defensive assets like cash and bonds. We spent a lot of time on this podcast thinking about things from the perspective of the mortgage holder, and today we're going to bring you a good news story for investors. We'll focus on the yields that can be received in the major asset classes, not just defensives, both now and also for the expectations into the future. Just a quick reminder, this podcast is general advice and is not intended to be specific to your personal situation. If you do want to discuss your personal financial situation and how to improve that, you can book a call with me or one of the advice team at www.nucleuswealth.com forward slash contact. Today, as always, we have the star of the show, Nucleus Wealth's co-founder and chief investment officer, Damien Klassen. Damo, welcome. Hey, Sam. Hey, gang. Very well, thanks. My name's Sam Kerr. I'm the senior financial advisor at Nucleus Wealth. We are live every Thursday at 12.30 Australian Eastern Time. So jump onto the Nucleus Wealth YouTube channel and you can ask us any questions that come to mind and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. We are also available on all other major podcast platforms, so you can have a listen in there if you prefer. So that's pretty much all the intro. So Damien, I'll hand over to you to let the viewers and listeners know about what yields are on offer. Yeah, so um, we try and run sort of at least once a year, a bit of a look at yield and, and things have changed a fair bit since uh, our last couple of times we've, we've done this. And so I just wanted to have a you know run through about, look, all the different sources of yield. Well, not all of them, but, you know, a, a broad selection of all of, of the, the main categories of yield and what you can expect and where they're sort of sitting relative to, to longer term um, longer term rates in terms of, you know, is, say, corporate bonds, are they, are they expensive or cheap relative to, to, to history and, and, you know, those types of uh, those types of factors so um and and then yeah we'll, we'll start we'll finish off with a with a investment sort of overlook and and, and what was, i guess what we're thinking and, and and what we're seeing um so i'll start with some of the uh i'll sort of start at one end of it with so your typical sources of yield is um starts from the sort of your lower risk ones that you're um you, you're at call bank deposits and and then sort of moving into term deposits and then government bonds Sort of semi-government bonds, alternative assets, corporate bonds, hybrids, corporate, um, and it's in a couple of different types of corporate bonds, and it's then sort of finally your equity dividends sitting at the other end. Um, I think there's a we've obviously had a few people on um, in recent times, uh, Jonathan uh, Rockford in particular, sort of looking at some of the alternative assets, and so um, yeah, it is worth highlighting that you know a lot of those are. Are there for um, for sort of getting yields in that um, you know I guess anywhere from from sort of your sixes or sevens up to your you know twenty percent yields you can get in some of these alternative assets um, but the risks do vary and and often they're very liquid assets um, and so the types of um, you know when, when you're making investments in those it, it's not it, it's really an, a longer term investment in um, in one of those as opposed to somewhere to stick your money for for six months or or or, or you know or or, or um as a ad call deposit you know if you're if you're sort of saying okay i've got some investments i'd like to make um you know i'm a bit worried about the stock market at the moment or i'm a bit worried about i just don't want to um stick the money in for, for a little bit but I, but I still want that available if, if, if things pop up um then uh you know taking an an alternative asset and and is not really the type of thing you should be doing because that that money is sort of often locked up for for quite long periods of time, and um, uh, you can uh, yeah it's, it's it should be thought of as like a, a long term investment in it, not just a, not something you sort of going to duck in and out of. So for the ones um, you sort of do duck in and out of, uh, I've got a chart just to pop up. This is just from the uh, the RBA, their their retail deposit interest rates. This is the advertised rate, which is, um, uh, you know, I guess a, a weighted average of some of the uh, some of the larger ones typically. 
Um, so yeah, so obviously you can get you can get different offers from from different places, but this is sort of what they're saying the advertiser rates is, and that's very different to what their their, their paid rates are. Um, mainly because the paid rates uh, are a lot lower because um, uh, people are lazy. You know, you, you've got your money in your bank account and you got a, some sort of teaser rate or something like that, got you this great, great yield when you first came on and, and then um, that's disappeared and, and you know, you, you can't be bothered changing banks. And, and that's so, um, yeah, that's, that's a very common um, in these. So, you know, if you are sitting on large um, interest rates, uh, oh, sorry, large cash deposits, uh, then you know, looking around and finding that um, finding that interest rate can can be significantly different. Um, you know, you can sort of be two three percent um, better yield if you're uh, if you if you look around. So um, you know, just looking at, at at what they're talking at here if you're on a ten thousand dollar balance, and it, you know, it obviously changes as well for for high balances. But this is just their their standard that the, the, the some of the stats the RBA give out. Um, you know, on a, on a cash management account, um, it's still like 075 percent. Um, versus you know four and a half if you're uh, if you're sticking to a bonus saver or or and you know three and a, three and a half if you if you're looking at term deposits um, across a across a period of a year so yeah big big difference between um, what you can see within those uh, and um, I guess the the thing I'd highlight as well is there are alternatives to these um, uh, these short term I guess measures. So, so your bonus saver, obviously, I guess most people are sort of aware of what 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 they are. But you know, for for a lot of people, if it's talking, if you're talking about an investment account, and you're like, yeah, I just want the money there, um, I sort of want it roughly at call because I might want to make an investment, um, but I don't. So I don't want to be locked up for like three years in a term deposit or or, or, or something like that. Um, you know, searching around, you could see here that. You know the the, the the average amount of the savings is sort of two percent, and those cash management for less than one percent. There are definitely um, alternatives that you can you can find that give you much better interest rates. So um, we use some an, um, a number of uh, listed instruments that sort of give things like bank bill swap rate effectively, and and you can so on on those types of ones in in our investments that where where we're holding cash um, for for longer periods of time. Um, that they'll give you over four percent in terms of um, in terms of interest at the moment, uh, and and those and the types of things for there um, you need to keep in mind is that there is a bit of a trading cost. So depending upon whether you've got access to sort of wholesale rates that you know, for, for example, we do, which means that the, the the trading in and out actually makes not a lot of difference to the overall investment. Um, whereas um, uh, you know if, if it's going to cost you twenty bucks um, per through your Comsec account every time you trade these. Maybe the uh, maybe the fees start to 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 to, to get rid of any um, uh, some some of that benefit, uh, yeah. And different accounts. So so um, you know we, we we operate across a number of different investment platforms. But um, you know one of the better ones we're on is um, uh, for for a cash at least is is Interactive Brokers, and they'll sort of give you know high threes, um, high you know three point seven seven I think on on balances above one fifty. Um, is, is what they're looking at at the moment. And uh, if you want to go into US dollar cash, um, you can get interest rates of, you know, almost 5% um, on, on that. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's definitely, um, yeah, definitely other places you can go to for, for, for cash. And I guess um, uh, the, it's got this, this inbuilt optionality into it, I guess, is, is the thought, is that if it's, if it's there as a, um, uh, yeah, it is what you're holding for, and, I, and we'll, we'll go a little bit more into that because the risk, obviously, for cash is if interest rates start to fall, and you're sort of relying on this, and this is all sort of at call rates. Is yeah, it's great to get, you know, one twelfth of of almost five percent, but if interest rates start falling, then then that can fall really quickly, which is why a lot of people, um, as an investment part, if, if you're looking to try and keep that income flow going, um, that's why you start the next step up is, is sort of stepping into bonds. Uh, and, and Damo, I'll just just like to make a point there with interactive brokers with the US dollar advertised rate. You know, if an investor sticks their money in there from Aussie dollars, there's that currency risk as well. So, just want to yes. highlight that. Yes, um, yes, yes, absolutely. And, and you know, there are you know, if, if you, depending on what platform you're using and things like that, you know, interactive brokers will, will give you sort of feel like it's a you know mid fours say on on. Um, UK currencies and maybe you're getting two and a half percent on on uh, euros and you know there's all different types of things you can you can look at for those if, you, if you're looking for a, a broader spread but you're right there's there's a the currency risk is significant in in these yeah 
it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm getting five percent, um, you know, on my uh, on my US dollar, so I'm, I'm getting an extra one percent, um, on you know, in my US dollar account. Well, you can lose that in in half an hour on the, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, in terms of currency. You know, that's uh, that's yeah, one percent over a year is, yeah. is absolutely not worth the um, uh, the risk. Um, yeah, you know, it needs to be a thought that you actually I'm using this as part of my hedge, or or you know. Or if I'm worried about, for example, how we often use it is is things where we're like, well, we've got a certain allocation we want to have in our portfolio to international assets. And if we're not going to hold stocks because we're worried about the stocks, then maybe we'll leave it in US dollar cash with the view that, you know, we're actually looking for that as a, as a bit of a hedge. But yeah, definitely don't go. Don't go yield chasing. That's a <laughs> very, very good point for, for all this stuff. And, and, and as, I'll, as I'll speak through this, you know, the, the big mistake a lot of people make um, uh, is um, is that trying to is uh, reaching for yield? They call it, which is basically yeah, I'll I'll, I'll get that extra one or two percent, and um, without realizing how much extra risk you're really taking to to get that money. Mm. So let's let's just have a quick look at bonds just to um, to put them into perspective. So um, oh, yeah, so I'll do the one hundred and one, and then we'll we'll jump into you know what it actually means for some of these at the moment. So so a bond is you pay a certain amount. Um, upfront and then you get a fixed amount of um payments and then at the end you get a uh you get a fixed amount back you know as long as the the entity which you've lent the money to can, can afford so let's i've just got one here that's paying you know a, a, a yield so you might pay you know it's a, it's a bit weird numbers I, um i'm not sure where i grabbed this one from but you know this one's got it paying you know eight and a half thousand um upfront for for this asset and then i'm going to get four hundred dollars every six months from that and at the end of the period, I'll get um, my ten thousand. I'll get a ten thousand dollar face value back, and, and another four hundred. So, um, yeah. So that's just an example of of, of what would happen. Um, very similar to to government bond, government bonds and, and corporate bonds. Um, so the the actual amount you're going to get will stay the same. So that's that's the real benefit is with these is is if you're buying a ten year um, government bond, is that you know what you're going to um, what you're going to get back you know, every period. And so interest rates rise or they fall, it changes the capital value of your bond. So, you know, if interest rates go up much higher, the capital value will fall. But, but eventually I know I'm getting that $100 back. So, you know, I spent, I spent $100 today. I get a, call it a 3.5% um, a interest rate. And at the end, I'm going to get $100 back. Um, that's, sort of, that's sort of fixed in, in place. But the, the, the amount I could sell it for at any one point in time might change. So there's some variability in terms of the, um, the capital value that you need to keep in, keep in mind. Um, but, but if you're holding it to maturity, uh, um, in terms of, like, as, a, as say, a, a bond ladder or something like that that we will often have as, a, as an investment for, for most of our clients, um, then it actually really doesn't matter. Um, because you're you're there to get to collect that yield, and what it means is if interest rates tumbled, so if, so if I buy in say a ten year bond now and I'm and I've got whatever three and a half percent or four percent, um, uh, or ten year bond, I'm, yeah, I'm going to get a little bit over four percent in Australia. Um, if interest rates go to zero next year and then stay at zero for the for the next nine years, that doesn't affect me as as a ten year because I bought that ten year bond. I'm still getting that that you know four and a bit percent that I paid um, for it today. So. It's a yeah you, you you're not exposed when I when I when the bond, bond finally matures and then I have to go and reinvest that's where I've got some risk because maybe then I have to step down but what it means is for anyone who's looking for income is it's a great way of smoothing that income over that over that period. Um, so then you can so there's a whole all these different factors that that fall into it so they're very simple instruments in, in at, at their at their core but but then you go well. Um, what interest rates can I get? And the interest rates you can get changes depending upon how long you're willing to lock your money up for. Very similar to a term deposit, um, but yeah, similar to a term deposit in, in the sense that, but, but you can you can trade these things at any time. A term deposit, if you do a five-year term deposit and, and then you turn around to the bank in, in two years' time and you want your money, they're going to charge you some sort of break fee usually. Um, with, a, with a government bond, you know, if I buy a 30-year government bond, um, I can, in, a, in two years' time, I can just sell it to somebody else. I'll run a risk that I might make capital gain or capital loss, but but the, the actual selling process is is, is relatively simple. Um, so so I've got something up at the moment just showing the bond yield curve, and so that's basically showing that yeah, if I want to lock my money up for thirty years, uh, or sorry, if I want to buy a thirty year bond, um, then you can get four and a half percent at the moment, uh, and you know if it's ten years, you know you're back to sort of four point two, and and if if you if it's a three year bond, then then you're below four percent. In terms of that, um, so the sort of government bond returns you can get. 
the other thing then is uh, if I'm if I'm got bonds and, and it might be a corporate bond, is that there's there's all these different tranches and I'll sort of I'll put a few of them in here. But the idea is that um, okay, if, if a corporate sitting right at the top um, is is the senior most senior secured debt. So uh, if something goes wrong with the company and I've got that senior secured debt, then I'm going to get my, my money back first. And then the next step is the senior unsecured debt or your, or your higher yield bonds. And so they're, they're sort of sit above all the, the equity holders and, and, and these other ones. But um, you know, in, in the event of a default, they're not going to get their money back. And so what that means is a senior secured debt will get lower interest yields. So you're safer because you're going to get more of your money back, but you'll get lo a lower return than, than say, the, the unsecured debt. The high yield bonds, and then you get into these convertible debentures, which are often the, it's a debt type of instrument. But um, if things go wrong, they can convert you quite easily into equity, usually. Um, and so, um, and those ones, you know, as I've tagged in this sort of uh, slide, that, that 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 they've got a legal obligation to give you that that yield and a legal obligation to give you that money back. Um, whereas once you start getting into preferred shares and and ordinary or common shares. Now it's about a promise to pay. So, so yes, we would like to pay this dividend to you, and we're expecting to pay this. This, but um, uh, but there's no sort of legal obligation in terms of if things go wrong, they can they can usually well, on, on most of those, on definitely on common shares, and, and usually on preferred shares, they can just pull that and say, sorry, we just don't have the cash to to pay it. So you're not getting cash, and, and you know, and there's no sort of no recourse in terms of that. Um, so. If and Damo, that 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 also sort of uh, ties into the risk reward uh, that's always present in investing. You know, the the secure debt at the top, there's very low risk, so you're getting sort of lower return. You know, lower mm. risk of of losing your money, and then yep. down with the shares, more risk but higher potential returns. Yeah, that's right. Except I, I wouldn't always describe that senior stuff as very low risk. Like, there's a lot of companies where. Um, actually, there's a, there's a fair bit of risk in the senior stuff as well as um, it's just it's, yeah, it 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 can be um, that that'll depend upon the rating and, and I'll talk about that and I'll show you a few different ones in a minute. But you know, if I use an example, if if you were um, uh, you know particularly bullish on say the um, uh, the Chinese property sector and you thought actually government's going to step in and bail it all out and they're going to build lots more and everything's going to be fine. Um, you know, Country Garden will give you about a fifty percent return or sixty percent return, maybe on their on their bonds at the moment. So, you know, if you're willing to, <laughs> you're, probably, you're willing to, to to shell out for a Country Garden bond, um, you can because you because you think the company's not going broke, then then you can make a mozza. But um, you know, the 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 senior secured debt there is priced as if um, it's probably going to go under. You know, there's a fifty fifty chance it's going under and and or, or greater. And and if they do go under, you're not getting much of your money back as well. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. So definitely dependent on the company. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, so so the things you play with bonds, uh, the things that sort of make a difference then is yeah. So the maturity makes a difference. Um, the uh, the seniority of it, um, covenants. So it's co covenants tend to be, and, th and this is where we're more talking about um, corporate bonds in this case. But it's it's the things about basically how strict um, have the uh, were the conditions on it. So. I think um, anyone who's sort of listened through to, to Jonathan, um, you know, that you uh, on the Rockford on when we're talking about these these bonds, is that we've seen a fair bit of movement in terms of some of these covenants in, in recent years, where um, they've been quite light. And what that means is basically that um, the borrowers don't really have that many um, guardrails. So, uh, in, you know, a, an institutional investor who's um, been around the block and seen these things. We'll, we'll want to say that actually, okay, yeah, I'm going to give you whatever it is, fifty million dollars. But um, you know, here are your obligations. If things start to go wrong, then you're going to go and raise more equity and pay us back. Or if or if, or if we've got you know problems over here, you're going to start selling assets or whatever it is that um, you know things to, to say when when if, if yeah if, the, if things start to go wrong, we're not going to let these guys keep going and keep making things worse and worse and worse and worse until suddenly it blows up and, and nobody gets anything back. Um, so. Uh, but you know, in recent years, um, there's been a lot of cash flashing around, and so some of those covenants have been what they call quite light, and so it, it does sort of lend to to some companies sort of just being able to, to keeping it, keep going on, keep digging the, the hole deeper, um, uh, which is you know, in a debt sense, you'd usually prefer uh, when things start to go wrong to. 
pull a plug early and everyone gets most of their money back as opposed to wait too long and and you know roll the dice will they survive or or, or not um then you can get sort of these fixed versus floating and that's definitely an issue so you know the floating rates are are, are um uh what we're talking about in terms of saying that it will move uh, like like an interest rate with the bank. So if if interest rates fall, your floating rates are going to fall, and so you that your your stability of income is 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 much lower. So so I guess it's a, a tr think of it as a trade off between in a floating rate note, um, your capital is is a lot more stable, um, but the actual amount of interest you're going to get is can be quite variable. In a fixed rate, your the amount of interest you get is very is very steady. It's, it's the same, um, but your capital value turns into to something. So if you're more about um, thinking, oh, well, uh, this is something I might jump into and jump back out of, um, then floating rate will give you some more stability on that capital front. You won't have to, you know, I might be getting 1% of ex interest extra, but but if I'm going to lose that, you know, if I lose that in a day's trading because the capital can change, then, then and, and you're thinking about trading, you know, I'm going to park it in here for a little bit and then then jump back out as you probably want some floating. If you're thinking about no, this is a longer-term investment, then then you're more likely to be looking at those fixed. Uh, and then the other one is uh, inflation-linked um, bonds. So there's a, a bunch of government bonds out there, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about these in a minute. But but basically, what you do is you you buy the bond for say hundred dollars, and they're going to pay you a yield. It'll usually be a relatively low yield, say one and a half, two percent, something like that. Um, but that yield will increase every year with inflation, and the amount of your that you're going to get back on your bond will increase every year with inflation. So they're a great way to protect yourself from inflation, particularly um, well the government uh, listed ones of these at least. Um, uh, but the, the flip side is the the returns are usually relatively low, and it comes down to talking about okay what what's priced in for inflation? Am I expecting that inflation will come in higher or lower than that? And there's a bit of a decision about you know what what you do. But but we we'll, we certainly use them in our portfolios, um, you know because they are a, a, a very good way to um, uh, to protect yourself from from inflationary issues, um, and the last one to talk about is the tax. Um, uh, I think the best way to think about these is that you, you know whatever the, your interest rate each year is, um, think about that as as being your tax, and it's going to come through as taxable income. You can get capital gains and capital losses on on sometimes the um, the issues of these. Like you can you know I might buy a bond today with a a five percent yield. And it might cost me $105, for example, and I'm only going to get back $100 in in 10 years' time. And so I'm getting like this. It's like I'm getting a higher yield today, and then i am got this capital loss at the end, or vice versa. I might buy a bond that's only paying a 2% ongoing yield, but it might only cost me $95. So you know, in the end, I sort of end up with the same return, but but in one case, I bought at a lower amount, and there's sort of like this notional capital gain at the end, and the other one, there's capital loss. So... Um, Think about it though as the ongoing yield um, is really the the amount of capital gain or capital loss. Like so, even in the first case, where I was making five percent per year, and the other one I was making two percent. You know, my, my actual average return was you know four percent, say on on both of them. Um, once I take into account that capital gain and loss, you can get taxed on that um, on the four percent rather than the the five or the two. So um, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is keep in mind that depend. There's different structures basically to avoid. The, the government's put in place to avoid people trying to dodge tax on 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 these trades, and so sometimes you might be caught up in it, and sometimes you 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 won't. So so if you ever see like um, uh, strategies that are designed around tax and and trying to buy bonds and getting some tax benefits, um, you know, I'd, I'd steer clear, or at least um, I wouldn't buy it unless you you're confident that even if even if the tax stuff goes the other way is that you're still happy to own that asset yeah don't don't buy them for a tax reason because they're definitely the the types of things that governments um look for in terms of um uh yeah tax strategies around that now the, now uh i'll just show you where australia sits relative to to other countries at the moment so i've just i've used the um credit default um well it's a derived risk score from from s p which is basically saying okay well, how risky is this company country sorry in terms of being able to pay back its bonds and then um what are you expecting in terms of returns on it and you can see australia definitely sits at sort of that lower risk higher return end of it um so you know for this is on the 10-year bond so you know we're over over 10 over uh four percent 
And um, yeah, we're pretty much at the lower end of, of developed countries uh, in terms of in terms of risk scores. Uh, keeping in mind though that inflation is is a big issue in these as well, and that um, you know the countries you see with quite low amounts, you know, Japan and Switzerland, you know, have got different um, inflation outlooks to to um, to Australia. So um, the other thing to keep in mind when you're looking, thinking about do I buy international bonds or do I buy Australian bonds? is there's lots of currency risk. So again, it's that part about, okay, you know, I could buy some UK bonds and get 0.3% um, more um, uh, by doing so. Uh, the issue is if I do that, um, and this is over 10 years, you know, 0.3% is, is a day's movement in, in the, in the um, or less than a day's movement in, in the pound versus, versus Aussie dollar. And so, um, yeah, you, wanna, you only want to be doing that if you're either hedged um, or if you're going to, um, yeah, or if you're happy to take that, that currency risk, keeping in mind that, you know, on, if there's, there's ways that effectively a lot of corporate, sorry, if you, if you buy an international government bond fund, um, typically it will be hedged back to Australian dollars. So it will get rid of that. So they're basically, you know, they'll, they'll enter into contracts, um, to, to, to sort of get rid of the, 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 the exchange risk. And the net effect of all that is that the returns actually come out to be pretty close to the Australian yield. Like it will be that plus or minus a little bit once you hedge out those currency risks. And so for a lot of investors, um, I say, look, why, why bother? Um, because there, there is actually, in my mind at least, a, a significant amount of more, a significant amount more risk you take on from, from buying foreign bonds. So even if it's the same, notionally the same risk, say it's a, um, they were looking at Australia versus Canada and, and you know, it's assessed that you know it's largely the same. You know the, the risk of the Canadian government not paying its debts is, is largely the same as the Australian government not paying its debts, um, and that's that's fair enough. But the issue is if as a as a retail investor, which you know most people um, you know on this podcast, I guess, are, or, or Australian citizens, I guess, with this, if if they default, if the Australian government defaults, it is much more likely to default on foreign um, loans rather than Australians. Australian people vote. Um, and they don't want the, you know, that's sort of like the last um, uh, last resort. And so you see on most countries that, that actually default is they default on foreign investors first, and then with things get really, really bad, they'll 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 start thinking about defaulting on on domestic investors. And so if I'm buying, say, a UK bond or, or a Canadian bond, well, let's say you use UK for example, and you get another sort of Liz Trust pops up and decides that they're going to, you know, unfunded spending and all these types of things like that, and and they have a default. Um, they're not going to default on U, um, UK citizens first. They're going to default on Australian ones. So I've got, um, I've got the same return as what I would have got an Australian bond, but I've, but I run, I run that risk. So um, yeah. So for me, um, yeah. Besides, yeah, really select opportunities. Um, you know, for most for most investors, I'd say just stick with the uh, stick with your Aussie bonds, government bonds, and you're getting a similar return to what you you would have if you're doing the foreign ones. Um, so if we're talking about longer term returns. Um, I've got these two charts up um, or two lines that are sort of showing so the US um, returns. So you can see sort of in that four to four and a half percent range at the moment on on um, 10 year bonds. And on the, the other chart, though, is that, which is what's called the tips. That's your inflation adjusted one. And so that's giving you about a two percent return at the moment. Um, so keep, yeah, keep in mind that they're, they're paying a two percent yield plus the value of the bond is going up every year by inflation. So um, the better way to look at the, the inflation one is to flip it back around though. Uh, and that's what I've got on the next chart, which is, and the, this is the blue line we're sort of focusing on, which is saying, what's the implied level of inflation that, that the 10 year tips is, is basically pricing in. And, and at the moment that's pricing in 2.3%. And so, you know, if you, if you're the view that um, uh, US inflation is going to be out of control and it's going to be three or 4% um, over the next 10 years, then, then these things look like a bargain. Um, if you're the view that actually now we're headed back to where we were over the last uh, decade or so, um, and that um, you know, inflation's headed back to sort of in the, in the one to two percent range, then then you'd probably say, well, okay, they're a bit expensive. Maybe I'll just go for the uh, the normal bonds instead. So yes, that's the inflation linked ones. Um, if you move on to corporates, there's different versions of the corporates, so you can sort of get. Um, uh, you, 
I've sort of got three lines here. The high yield ones is sort of like the junk bonds, I guess you'd, you'd usually call them. And uh, you usually get a much higher return on those. And you can see the yield sort of jumps when, when, when you hit times of trouble, the yield jumps much higher. And, um, and then you've got your, uh, your BAA versions or your triple B versions. That's sort of your investment grade bonds. And then, then your, your highest, um, triple A, they're, they're your, your real solid, um, corporates which are, are not far off you know governments in term often in terms of the um the risk you're taking um in terms of those they don't issue their own currency obviously but but you know these are usually um the triple a ones usually very well diversified not much debt um you know pretty low uh risks of, of, of ever uh defaulting and so you say so you get a much lower return on those and and again so that's your total yields on that um so it's um you know even on your uh so on your your junk bonds at the moment, you're sort of getting eight percent ish on, on those. But but a better way to look at that again is as a, is a spread, and that's what I've sort of got on this next chart, which is saying, well, how much more can I get versus the the equivalent government bond um, if I buy these? So uh, in terms of the um, uh, in terms of the triple, uh, sorry, in terms of the junk bonds. It's they're not priced that high at the moment, so uh, you can get that jumping, you know, to sort of ten um, percent above the uh, above the equivalent government when you, when you hit times of trouble, and it's sort of you know below five at the moment. So it's certainly not pricing in much in terms of the way of danger, uh, and and so then you sort of got to uh, you know basically comes back to going well if I'm expecting that actually things are just going to truck along and and we're not really going to go through a default cycle and and, and things will be relatively fine. And maybe these these are a right to buy at these prices, but if, if you think there's going to be any way a sort of increase in defaults and a, um, uh, and things going on, then then um, you know the spreads you that are being offered at the moment are pretty low. Um, you know, for uh, they're really not pricing any any sort of real danger or or, or problems sort of emerging. So demo uh, with the spreads there, um, you know, you mentioned uh, like what what sort of difference between the AAA rated bonds, corporate bonds, um, compared to government bonds? Like, what sort of difference in yield are you getting for there? Uh, the you're getting about one or two percent above the um, above the level. So yeah, it's really um, uh, the amount is is pretty minor relative to the um yeah yeah okay and you and you mentioned as total return so that's taking into account the income and then also the capital value so uh, the capital value is obviously fluctuating through the life of the bond uh, yeah. but are these uh, like what maturities are they looking at here with these sort of corporate uh this one this one's like looking at the relative amount so if, so if they're looking at say a three-year government bond sorry if they're looking at a three-year corporate bond that they'd, they'd compare that to a three-year government bond and then, um, yeah, there's, there, there's a whole bunch of different series you can get looking specifically at, say, three years or five years or one years or whatever. This is sort of a blended version. It's about saying, okay, if I look across and just compare each each corporate bond to its its um, um, uh, you know, its equivalent um, government yeah. bond, then this is okay. Okay, so it's it's blended. Yeah. Okay, that's mm -hmm. good. Yep. Thanks for that. And uh, we might just go to a quick sales message. We'll be back with the investment insights very shortly. Nucleus Wealth is an active and passive investment manager. If you like what you're hearing and want some help with the investing, we can do it for you via our active portfolios. Our tactical and core portfolios use the insights shared in this podcast to construct and manage your investment. We blend tactical portfolios to offer our combinations of international shares, Australian shares, government bonds, and cash. We vary the asset allocation with the goal of protecting your capital in times of market uncertainty. We also have active international and Australian share portfolios. These are chosen using our quality and value investment philosophy. You can find out more at NucleusWealth.com. Now back to the show. Sorry to interrupt. I just want to ask you for a favor. We want to spread the message about transparency and integrity in investing. At Nucleus Wealth, we live and breathe these values, and we want you to help us spread this message. Subscribing to our channel will help us do that, so we'd be most grateful if you hit the subscribe and like button now, as it helps us far more than you may realize. So, Damo, I've got I've got a question. 
often investors and potential clients ask, you know, why why don't we invest in uh, you know U.S. Treasuries? And I think you covered that very well compared to uh, government bonds in Australia. But the the question for me is, you know, from what you've shown, you can get a higher return from corporate bonds. And uh, why does Nucleus Wealth choose to just invest in uh, government bonds rather than corporate bonds? Yeah, so corporate bonds, um, this is sort of like a weighted average. And so it's actually, uh, there's a lot more variability within that. And you can get, you know, you need to, you want to get a product, quite a broad spread in terms of your corporate bonds to get these. Because if you're just going to say, okay, I'm going to pick one or two or, you know, even three or four different, different bond issues, and they tend to be quite illiquid. Um, then you know you're running quite significant risk that one of those companies runs into problems. So so you want to get quite a broad spread. And the issue with the, getting the quite a broad spread is um, that uh, yeah now, now they're not exchange traded and so uh, or mostly not exchange traded. And so then you're you're starting to play around in in terms of unlisted assets. Uh, and then secondly, um, so so yes, yeah, so, so, so there are some trading things. And the second part is just the risk return side of it is that. Um, Corporate bonds don't give you the same types of returns as, as, as government bonds in, insofar as when you, re, when you run into times of economic trouble, what tends to happen is interest rates get cut um, and government bonds increase in value. Uh, whereas when you run into times of economic trouble, you can go through uh, stages where corporate bonds actually go the other way. So, so um, the, the, the spreads blow out, everyone's concerned about companies falling over. And, um, and sometimes you can actually find that, that um, uh, well, yeah, not even sometimes, but relatively often you can find that the actual values of the corporate bonds are falling um, rather than rising in times of trouble. And so uh, and, and so that means that their, their return profile is actually much more similar to, to equities in, in, in when that occurs. So I guess what we've taken the view is that, um, you know, by blending government bonds and, and, and shares, both of which are, are very liquid and much more, are much more easily traded, um, you can actually end up with very, you know, a return profile that's that's not dissimilar to what you might have been looking for from from some of those corporate bonds. So um, yeah, certain times of the cycle, absolutely, you know, corporate bonds will, will look good and, and be worth um, sort of investing in. But for my part, it's not um, doesn't have to be a core part of your portfolio. It's more of a uh, yeah, more of a satellite, I suppose. And that's that's how you know what we're really trying to run is is these core portfolios, and then with the idea that you know. We don't have hedge funds within it, or we don't have small caps, or or, or um, you know some of these uh, different sort of alternative strategies. Is the idea that well, they don't have to be a core part of it. We'll run the core, lower cost, liquid, safer assets, and then if you want to buy a corporate bond bond fund, yeah, you can drift into that for a little bit and drift back out when you when you think the uh, uh, the the value doesn't add up. Yeah, fantastic. Because we we get that question a lot, so hopefully that makes it clearer uh, to a lot of mm. listeners out there. Um, so now I understand we're going to move on to hybrids. Yeah, so hybrids. Um, uh, I guess the, the the main one I want to keep in mind with the hybrids is hybrids have got a liquidity premium. You'd call it in in there, insofar as. Uh, they are much more easily traded than, than a lot of debt instruments, and particularly by, um, uh, say, stockbrokers and, and financial planners within within the Australian market. And so, um, because they're easier to trade, they do trade them more. And and arguably, what you know, from my perspective, what that means is that you end up with um, getting a lower yield than what you might get from an equivalent corporate bond fund. Um, but you know, it's obviously a big investment class, and I sort of thought it's well worth covering off on. Um, and so the, the main one for hybrids is you're really looking at this idea of um, a margin versus your, your bank bill swap rate. So, so similar to, to how we're saying with corporate bonds, we want to see what are you above um, what you could have got from a government um, uh, fund. What we're, what we're looking at here is, okay, what could I get from, from a bank bill swap rate, like a 30-day, sorry, a 90-day bank bill swap rate? And so uh, at the moment, we're sort of trading at sort of, you know, about 3% uh, compared to that. So... So your bank bill swap rate of about 4.1 and, and then you add you know, a little bit less than 3%. Um, so it gives you around about that um, around about that 7% return that, you, that you're looking on uh, on these. Um, that's sort of low-ish, I guess, relative to where it's been. So, so you know, sometimes you can get, well, if you're sort of looking at that middle range, um, you know, quite often you can get closer to 4% above uh, the bank bill swap rate. 
so we're sort of yeah much much closer to the bottom end of the the range so you know as are these expensive or, or cheap relative to where they've been in the past well they, well they look relatively expensive uh relative to say the, the bank bill swap rate um and then you sort of got to come back and assess you know how much risk do you think is in is in that do you think there's uh uh you know the the rate rise cycle and everything like that is going to cause problems in the australian economy um and, and if you think bankruptcy is going to rise or keep more keep more of a keep rising then um again these these look a bit expensive at, at, at current rates and Damo, do you just do you mind just explaining to the listeners a little more about what hybrids actually actually are? Yeah, so uh, I mean they, they they vary depending upon the uh, depending upon the issue, but I guess the main thing I, I guess I want to highlight with the hybrids is um, that it's you want you do want to have a look at the individual lines and, and what what the conditions are. Sometimes they're convertible into um, equity. Sometimes they're convertible into uh, you know other types of debt. Um, they sit quite low on the on the um, so we spoke about there being senior debt and then um, unsecured debt. Usually um, uh, the hybrids sit another level below that again. So so basically, you know, in, in some ways, if things go wrong, um, you, you're not very far off the equity holders. So there's going to be all these senior debt senior debt holders who are going to jump in front of you if something goes wrong. Um, uh, and and then on the other side you're not getting the same returns as equity holders though because equity holders are basically saying well we're going to get we're going to get all the returns you know if things go well we're going to we're going to go really well if things go badly we're going to go really badly and and so hybrids sort of sit a little bit from from my mind in in um some of the worst characteristics of both like if things go badly they're they're they don't sit particularly high on the structure and, and if things go well um there's very fixed returns they're not going you're not getting any excess returns if things go well you're just getting back you know what you expected and so um yeah, you can see within these ones that, and actually, this one doesn't even have the the the, the financial crisis because it takes you right off the end of the scale. But you know, during the um, uh, during the pandemic, um, the yield sort of jumped out to to seven percent. Um, and so, yeah, if you're holding hybrids with a view that um, you know, this is this is what's going to save me, this is going to be my safe asset. Um, you can see that the the, the actual value really plummeted at, at that point. Um, and then similarly, back in 2015, we went through that other a similar cycle, and that was just a slowdown. That was just a China slowdown cycle, and um, you know they, the the yields, the, the spread again blew out to sort of you know almost six percent. Um, uh, and, and you know, I guess so. I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, in times of trouble, um, these the asset value doesn't hold up. Whereas if you compared bonds in both those cases, in both government bonds. Um, in in both those cases, the values of government bonds were, were were rising at that point, so that that was providing a, an effective hedge for your portfolio. Whereas these hybrids looked a lot more like um, your equities. Okay, thanks for that. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot more risk with these hybrids, um, with potential limited upside at times. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, okay, so so then I want to jump into dividend yields. Um, and I want to preface this by saying there is a big, big difference between Australia and um, what you can get elsewhere. And I've got a sort of chart up um, showing that, that Australia, Australian companies pay out sort of 70% uh, of their dividends versus the US companies sort of paying out more like 40%. And so um, I guess the, the highlight here is the way the Australian tax structure is set up, it's, um, it incentivizes companies to pay higher dividends. And so what that means is they reinvest less. Um, whereas so in the US you get a lot more um, say share buy buybacks or, or more more capital expenditure whereas in Australia that the whole um, you know there's there's very much a tax driven um, you know impetus to to pay that um, pay that out so if you if you break that down though and you and you said okay well what happens if I um, if I took the Australian payout ratio or sorry if I took the the world payout ratio and I added in all the buybacks um, uh, it actually comes back to much more similar to to, to the Australian rate so if you basically say yeah, what's the Australian yield um, plus plus whatever buybacks are happening in Australia? Um, you actually get a very, yeah, the, you compare it to the world plus buybacks, you get, you get a very similar number. Um, and, and I guess in terms of the buybacks, um, what does a buyback do? Well, well, it really it decreases the number of shares. So if I buy back 1% of my shares, then effectively everyone who's left is going to get a 1% rise in their their dividend next year and a 1% rise in their earnings per share, you know, all else being equal because there's just fewer shares on issue. And so in both cases, it's, it's basically money going out of the company to shareholders. In one case, you accrue it as a capital gain and the other place, yeah, so 
and that's in the case of a buyback and in the case of a yield you you accrue it as a, a yield and so um yeah there's to me there's not a lot of difference um and and arguably the buyback is more tax effective um but um uh yeah well worth keeping that into account i suppose in terms of as you're thinking about yields so um to the yield you can get at the moment um on the Australian market is sort of you know a little bit above four percent, um, it's a little bit above average, but um, you know wouldn't call it. Um, it's not certainly not super super cheap. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's and and it's not looking as expensive, I guess, on a yield basis as, as what you'd say for the um, on on yeah on the, on the earnings. So the yields look a little bit expensive on the earnings side. Um, you know, the Australian market looks a lot more expensive. Uh, you compare that to the US where, you know, you can get more like a one and a half percent yield. Um, and if you're looking at say the, um, uh, global market, it's a little bit over 2%. So the US market certainly pays less than others. And a lot of that is the tech stocks, um, paying, paying lower yields. Um, actually, I might skip those buybacks and, and. Yeah, Damo, I'd, I'd just like to make one point as well. Um, just on the difference between the, uh, the Aussie market and the US market with, with regard to the tax system, you know, in Australia, there's the imputation system where uh, to essentially eliminate double taxation. So tax is paid at the company level, and then the owner of those companies are the shareholders, and then those uh, profits or dividends are paid out to the shareholders, and you get the you get the the tax credits with that. So if you're if you're let's say you know tax rates thirty percent uh, on the large companies. And if your marginal tax rate's higher than 30%, you're going to pay more tax. But if it's lower, you're going to get a refund of those Frankie credits. So there's no double taxation. Whereas in the US, uh, they uh, it's taxed at the company level and then also at the individual level. So I think it's less incentivized for companies to actually pay out dividends in yeah. the US and more incentivized to retain earnings and grow the company uh, that yeah. way. Is is that is that uh, have I missed anything there? Uh, the only thing I'd add in there is there's um, you can get some foreign tax withholding um, credits if you're an Australian investor investing overseas, and and they are very similar to to um, franking credits. With the, the the main thing being you can't get a you can't if you're not paying any tax you can't get a refund for, refund on it. But um, they do act a bit like franking credits, uh, or a lot sorry a lot like franking credits in terms of offsetting the amount of tax that you need to pay. So yeah, so on your um, on your foreign investments, um, yeah, you've got as I said the, the foreign withholding tax credits, which are um, which which are useful. Yeah, and so the yeah that that is uh, ab they're, they're absolutely useful. But I guess the tax structure is driving you know determining how companies are sort of paying out or exactly. retaining earnings. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, I guess that that's one part, and I'll move on in a minute. We'll talk about the sector structure as well because it's not just the tax structure. So, but let's let's go to that message first, and then we'll we'll be back again shortly. If you like what you're hearing but want a low-cost passive option, Nucleus Wealth is the first to offer passive direct indexing in Australia. The first generation of passive investing was index funds. The next gen was ETFs. Now direct indexing is here with significantly more customization and control. The benefit of direct indexing is you can add or subtract investment themes, and we have almost 100 different options to choose from. For example, you could buy an international share direct index portfolio that excludes fossil fuels and arms manufacturers and has a tilt towards cybersecurity and cloud computing. Alternatively, you could buy a portfolio with no screens and an extra exposure to nuclear power and defense contractors. You can find out more at NucleusWealth.com. Now back to the show. Right, so the other thing I want to just talk about, so we spoke about what, so how we've got... Um, yeah, US yields or, or global yields. So, so you know, Aussie yields are a bit over four percent. Global yields are a bit over two percent. So there's about a two percent difference between the two. Now, a big chunk of that is that buybacks. You, that'll bring you back pretty close to the to, to similar levels. The other thing, though, to keep in mind is that um, about half of that difference, so about one percent, is really the sector allocation. So because you're buying, when you buy Australia, you're buying lots and lots of financials, and you're buying lots and lots of materials, well over fifty percent. Of your portfolio goes into those two sectors, um, and and they they tend to be much higher yield sectors, and so if you just took um, 
if you just took the world stocks and bought them the same and bought um, them in the Australian sector sort of weight, so you bought 30% financials and 25% materials in your world portfolio, you would actually end up with a yield, you know, another almost 1% higher than what you're getting, or sorry, more than 1% higher than what, you, than what you're getting um, at the moment. So, so in a way, um, you know, the Australian yield is, is, is you know, really made up of two factors. One is the, the buybacks aren't as high, and so therefore, um, you know, you're just getting it in a different way. But the second factor is you're very concentrated in two particular sectors um, that pay high yields. And, and I guess if we were, say, financial advisors in the US and we told you, um, uh, you turned up and said, you know, I want to get, I want a yield portfolio. And we said, great, we're going to buy 50% or, you know, 60% banks and resources for you. And, and something went wrong. We'd lose our license. Like it's, um, but in Australia, it's normal. Like everyone's just like, yeah, fine. That's, that's the index. Um, and so, um, yeah, I guess what, I guess what I just want to highlight is that really a lot of the yield in Australia is, is a sector allocation, effectively a choice that we're making saying, yes, I'm happy to have 60% of my portfolio on these two sectors. And so, therefore, that's the, that's you know that's the yield you're going to get. Um, so that's one part. The other thing I just want to talk about is you know, when you're putting together an, a stock portfolio, um, you're you're looking to try and say, I can get a if I buy a diversified portfolio and I'm getting some sort of yield on the, on that portfolio, I'm really looking for that yield to grow over time and keep up with inflation. And this is this idea that um, stocks and and their dividends do do have a relatively good history over, over over a long period of time of, of keeping up with inflation and beating inflation so um if i've got a diversified portfolio of stocks yeah you can get dividend falls sometimes but um generally speaking a, a quite a broad diversification that the, the the yield is usually relatively steady on that um on a on a global portfolio less so in australia because resources bounce you around a lot but but um yeah on a global portfolio and so i've just i've got a sort of chart up just sort of showing some of these diversification issues in that um, depending upon what sectors you choose, you can get quite you can get higher and lower diversification. So, so say if you're um, you wanted to have some quite large uh, investments in say the inf information technology sector, um, if you sort of combine that with the utilities, um, there's actually not a lot of correlation between um, what what you're getting in terms of the uh, the returns on those, and so um, and so that can help sort of give you that offset in terms of what you're. Um, uh, which keeps your, your dividends sort of steadier and that sort of steady growing dividends in, in your portfolio. And then, um, and just highlighting, I've got, a, you know, another table up to sort of showing the, uh, you know, which are the, the low, moderate and high. So, so you know, consumer staples, which is sort of your, your supermarkets and, and your, your everyday goods, um, telecommunications, um, uh, utilities and healthcare sort of give you some some more stable. Um, got information technology, which, is a bit variable in terms of well, there's there's some stocks in there that do but other ones that don't and then yeah your um your moderate risks as your sort of financial banks and then your high risk ones that swing around a lot um yeah mining materials very much so energy um yeah so and uh, Damo just on those on those low uh sectors there are they are they low because uh, you know, they're not paying out much as dividends, or are they low because the, the no, some prices have been quite, bid up, or some of them paying quite high amounts. So what I'm looking at here is, sorry, actually, I should have said, I don't think I've titled this quite as well as I should have. I think this is the volatility of the dividends you're you're getting out of the out of these sectors. Now, the real estate sector is does look high. Some of that's because though there's there's a couple of special events in there, in particular the 2008, um, where you had some really significant falls in some of the dividends. Um, and so the questions, yeah, there, there will be people who question, you know, is that is that right? Should we be using that, or should we be sort of more taking into account some of the longer term ones? So, um, information technology does not pay a high yield but for the most part. Um, there's there's a number of stocks within that sector that do, um, but yeah, for the the big, certainly the bigger ones and the weighted average ones just don't pay out high high dividends, which is why the you know partly means that there's not a lot of variability in in the earnings in in the dividends that you get. Um, but yeah, your consumer staples, your telecommunications, particularly utilities and healthcare, are all pretty steady dividend payers and, and don't really change the, um, the dividend too much. Whereas if you jump to, say, an industrial company, yeah, you can get them paying out, you know, whatever, 10 cents sometimes and two cents other times and, 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 and absolutely the energy and mining, um, stocks, you know, if you see, they can give you 10, 15% yield sometimes, those things, and then they can give you a 0% yield for a few years and then back to 10 or 15. You know, it's it's just, it's, it's all over the place. So, 
um, yeah, I certainly wouldn't. If you're somebody looking for income, and certainly, uh, and and by that definition, you're looking for a steady income. I'm assuming, um, then uh, yeah, energy materials are, are just not the place to to go for that. Okay, and uh, we've got a slide a couple back on the S and P five hundred dividends. Uh, we, I don't think we've really talked about that, but I mean, uh, you know, holding uh, those US shares, if you bought yeah. them back in 2000, you know, your yields on that initial investment, it's going to be pretty significant now. And I, I think, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's, that's, you're right. That's, I probably should have, that's the diversification angle, I guess, what I'm, uh, what I'm saying there is, um, you know, so if you looked at your, um, the, the amount you're getting, it, it's generally rising and it's rarely falling very much. So 2008, you know, you've, it fell by, you know, you, you, you rose to 250 and you fell back to 200. So you sort of, you know, probably 20% fall in terms of the the amount you're getting paid in dividend. And that was that was very significant, obviously. But um, that's pretty much the, uh, you know, pretty close to the only time, you know, you, you got a little bit of a fall in, in 2020. But but arguably for that you know for that the, the fall in two thousand twenty basically took you back three quarters so or four quarters you know you, the yield you were getting in two thousand nineteen was very similar to the yield you're getting at the bottom in two thousand twenty so so yeah there was a slight fall in the dividend from from the prior quarter but actually relative to, to the you know relative to the year before or two years before it was pretty flat and so um, and that's that that idea that look over the longer term um, you know. You, if you've got a diversified portfolio and um, uh, you can usually see that those yields will be, uh, oh, sorry, the actual dividends you're receiving um, will be rising over time. Yeah, and uh, I, I'd just like to add to that, you know, this is the power of compounding. You know, back in uh, 1999, 2000, if you invested in the S&P 500 then, you know, you might have got a 1 2% yield and uh, 20 years down the track, that, the, as those companies have become more profitable, you know, they serve more people over time, they mm -hmm. buy up their competitors uh, and they become more profitable, pay out more to shareholders as dividends, you know, you're getting that real compounding yeah. effect. Four times uh, that. Yeah. Yeah, four times. So you might be getting up 8% yield uh, from uh, that initial Based investment. Based on your original. Yeah, that's on, right. And on I think the initial investment. Um, yeah, that's right. And, and so it's, it, is a, it is a matter of thinking, you know, in a way, if, if what you're looking for is, you know, one, one way of looking at investing is saying, I, I want to create a, I want to create this dividend stream that I can live off. And, you know, I try to try not to catch, touch my capital too much. I just want to accrue this, accrue this capital that's spitting off dividends and I can sort of live on that dividend part. Is it if I can find somewhere where the dividends are rising all the time, then and in a relatively steady fashion and not sort of bouncing up and down all the time, then then that's perfect for, for what I'm looking for in the portfolio. And that you know the two real places to get that from is one is equities. Um, oh, sorry, two real places to get it relative to inflation is one is equities and the other one is those inflation-linked bonds. So if you want to sort of stay ahead of that those numbers, then then they're the two main places you get because almost every other um, class is is somewhere that um you know you you're sort of fighting against that inflation and that you're, you're getting a fixed return and so yeah there's potential to, to lose out yeah and the one other thing I'd, I'd just like to add to that as well is with equities or with any investment there's always the two dimensions of the asset there's the uh the capital value and the income it produces and with that with this chart that we're looking at here uh, over time, as these underlying businesses become more profitable, uh, they're paying out higher dividends and the share price, the capital value is actually a function of the income that it produces. So not only are you getting a growing income stream from the, from the dividends, uh, but the, the bonus is the capital values increasing as well. So, you know, you've got those two dimensions of the asset working for you. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so uh, now we're going to go to the question of the week. Uh, so the question of the week for this week is: Can you? Uh, where can where can you get the best risk return trade off for your yield? So this is for you to have some discussion in the comment section over the coming days uh, with some of the other uh, other viewers there. So uh, yeah, demo back to you and over to investment implications. Yeah. So. I think the main thing, you know, the main thing we want to highlight is the investment yield. The relative yields you can get now is looks so much better than it did two or three years ago. So, so if you're talking about cash, you know, how does cash look versus shares? Two or three years ago, you're getting nothing on cash, and um, 
uh, and and, sh- and share returns, share you know um, dividend yields were were sort of three or four percent. Um, you, you're sort of basically at the same spot for for dividend yields from 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 companies, but now you can sort of get that three or four percent uh, in in terms of your cash yields as well. So um, you know, I guess the question is, if you're looking to then say, um, so if you're looking to park your money for a little bit to, to wait for um, you know better buying then um, current yields look, look pretty good in terms of the, some of the shorter-term yields. Uh, if you try, want to try and lock away some rates and you, and you are worried about the economy getting a bit worse, then, then you probably really do want to start thinking about bonds. And, um, you know, if, if you, yeah, if you're looking at a 5% return on your bank account, or sorry, maybe a 5 you know, looking at 4 to 4% return on your, on your bank account at the moment, and you're saying, okay, um, that's great, you know, I've got my money and that'll, that'll, that'll last me, you know, I, I can live off that, that interest for a while. Um, if you're looking at it that way, then you, you probably want to be buying some bonds and locking in in case um, you do get the the interest rate falls and and you know your four percent turns back into to one or two percent. Um, uh, and and I think the other thing to remember with bonds is if you're looking at government bonds and and um, and, and you're making the assumption the Australian government will pay back to to, to, to local investors, which I think is a pretty pretty safe assumption, um, is that uh it's it's very very difficult to lose money on that deal you know from on day one you know what you're getting back if you're not if you're a hold to maturity so you're not going to trade these then um you know your return i buy this bond for whatever 102 dollars. i'm going to get back my my yield my my three and a half or four percent yield every year and at the end of the time period i'm getting back the hundred dollars face value of the bond like that's that's locked in if i'm not trading it if i'm trading it okay now that hundred and you know i could i could then sell that 102 for $97 or, or $105 or whatever it is, that could move around. But for most people, um, you know, they look very much at these bonds as, as a, as a um, I'm buying and holding them. And that's where, um, you know, we'll, we tend to, for most of our investors, we'll, we'll build them a bond ladder where they actually hold the bonds themselves um, because a lot of the exchange-traded funds that you buy, they do do the trading or well, they can do the trading I guess in terms of um, yeah, if you're particularly if you're buying some of the longer dated ones, um, and so there's risk of capital loss within those. Whereas if you're if you're just holding this thing as part of your your assets and you're just going to as one as one expires, you're just going to buy one on the other end, um, which is what we do for a lot of our customers. You you, um, you then don't have that that capital risk um, within the um, yeah within it. Uh, the corporate bonds and hybrids, you know, really depend upon your outlook for the cycle. For both of them, um, to me, the risk return doesn't look real good. Like the the, the spreads you're getting are quite low. Um, they're not they're not terrible, but they're they're relative to history. Uh, for both corporate bonds and for hybrids, you, you're getting on the on the on the lower side of of um, uh, spread versus versus government bonds. And I think the risk is is considerable in in both. Um, you know, if we go through a default cycle that's that's in any way. Um, even just an, an average default cycle for for um, you know top of the cycle type type event, then um, then they're not going to look particularly good. And if we go through a bad one, um, yeah, they're going to look terrible buying them at, at these points. So um, yeah, if you, you have to have a pretty pretty bright, pretty sunny outlook um, on on um, on corporate bonds to um, to make them to make them work at this level. Uh, stock yields are relatively low. Um, you know, really, inflation is your key assumption here. If you're really worried about inflation and you want to try and um, try and you, you think there's going to be like a, we're going to go through this massive inflation cycle and and um, and that you know there's going to be a relatively soft landing and things like that, then then maybe you can you can look at stocks and say yeah okay I want to buy these things for yield at the moment. Um, but but otherwise uh, you know we're, we're we're taking that as being a smaller part of your overall portfolio. If, you know in terms of people who are looking for yield. Want a little bit of stocks? Yep, absolutely. You want to get a little bit there. A um, little bit of inflation-linked bonds, but um, for us, a lot of part, a bigger part is is more the um, more of the normal bonds. Excellent. And uh, I'd just like to add as well, Damo, uh, as the viewers would have known, I uh, would have heard we have around a hundred different screens and tilts, and uh, just want to throw out a couple of ideas of how to actually. Uh, utilize this within your Nucleus Wealth portfolio. So I'm particularly going to talk about the tactical portfolios today. So the tactical portfolios, that's where we vary the asset allocation depending on market conditions. Uh, so in times of uncertainty, we go towards more, uh, we go from switch out from def- uh, growth assets to more defensive assets. And uh, some ways you could play this, you know, if you you can, within those portfolios, those tactical portfolios, you can exclude 
government bonds uh, if you're bearish on government bonds for, for whatever reason, or you can actually exclude Aussie shares or international shares. Uh, so there's lots of flexibility around what you can actually do within the portfolios. Um, so yeah, that's that sort of wraps that up. That's uh, pretty much the the show for today. So Damo, thanks for sharing your knowledge again. Uh, we were a little light on viewer questions today, but I'm sure there's lots of value in the episode for for lots of people. I'm sure everyone's learned something, myself included. Um, so yeah, thanks for putting the show on, and we look forward to next week. Thanks, Sam. Excellent. So we do welcome your feedback on this podcast, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. If you do have any ideas, drop it in the comments section below or send us an email to contact at nucleuswealth.com. And if you know of anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you do share it with them as well. So from myself, Damien, and the rest of the team at Nucleus Wealth, thanks for watching and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.